Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Here are your hosts, Phil Dark and Ryan North. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Again, we have a great guest with us today, Rick Clark, the Director of Admissions. I'm not sure if that's actually the right title, but at Georgia Tech University, it is a great honor to have him here with us today. And he's going to talk about how he incorporates soccer and all that he's learned on the pitch into the work that he does every day. So we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we do, I just want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already really wherever you're listening to it right now all you do is hit that subscribe button and then you won't miss any episodes that's something that i encourage you to do if you're enjoying it if you're not enjoying it then just stop it right now and go listen to something else but i'm hoping that because you have this right now listening to it it's something that you're enjoying and it's helping you and it's helping you in your leadership so if that's the case Go ahead and do that. You can also rate and review it, again, wherever you're listening. And that just helps people understand why they might want to listen to it. But most importantly, share it with your friends. Share it with your teammates. Share it with your family. Anybody else who you think can benefit from these conversations that we're having, it's something that that is the best way to get this show out there. And I very much appreciate it if you're doing that. And I'm sure the people that you're giving it to will appreciate it as well because I've been super encouraged. I've learned a ton from these interviews. And so I have no doubt that you are as well. So without any more about that, I'm excited to get to my friend, my brother, Rick Clark. How you doing? I'm doing well, Phil. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to your conversation. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, did I get your title right? You did. You did. The title is Director of Admission. Now, one quick correction is Georgia Institute of Technology. So no okay. university in that, but, but Georgia Tech, better known as Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Yep. I apologize. It's an all institute, good. not a university. And so to all you yellow jackets out there, I am, <laughs> I am sorry for yep. that, but I'm sure you can find in your heart to forgive me. So now that we got those important technicalities out of the way, Rick, share with the audience who you are, unless they applied to Georgia Tech. And even if they did, they probably don't remember your name, but I doubt that a lot of people have a, a good understanding of who you are. So just share your story, your soccer experience, playing, coaching, really how you got to be where you are today. And then we'll get into some really cool stuff about how you are using soccer in your leadership there. Yeah, absolutely. So actually grew up here in Atlanta and started playing soccer here. But when I was in fourth grade, we actually moved out to Dallas and I think that's when I realized sort of the next level of mm -hmm. soccer. I mean, Atlanta soccer is good. Georgia soccer is good and, and was okay at the time. But getting out there was a humbling experience, even at that age. And was there for, I guess, fourth through sixth grade. And just seeing the various levels of competition and really getting introduced to competitive soccer, travel soccer, that was, for me, helpful in a lot of ways because, like I said, it was humbling to start with. But it also gave you something to shoot for, right? And I, I think extrapolating that out, we, we need that. We need both those things constantly. But then moved back, actually, here to Atlanta and ended up playing club as well as high school here. And then I went to Lafayette College, which is up in Easton, Pennsylvania, and played in the Patriot League there at Lafayette in my freshman year before realizing, you know what, I'm not going pro. And decided to move back. I transferred to Chapel Hill and, and finished up there. So I think in terms of soccer since then, of course, you and I played when you were here in Atlanta. I've played for a lot of different teams, adult soccer, but really more so in adult life, just coaching. 
I started coaching when I was an undergrad at Chapel Hill, which is kind of rare. Most people not doing that during their time, but I coached little kids, fourth and fifth graders, just loved it. And then continued to do that before we had kids. And I think I'm in like my 19th or 20th season of coaching my kids now, which has been just such a cool opportunity. Not only just my relationship with them, but also with their friends. It's, it's just so different when you have that. That's kind of the quick, the quick and dirty. So tell me about the team that you are now overseeing and the, the work environment. Paint that picture for our audience so they understand the context of what we're talking about. They understand the soccer pitch. They understand your teams. They understand the, what you're talking about there. I think anybody on this show that understands soccer is already like out there with you there. But they don't really know, and I don't really know, honestly, just yeah. what does that look like? What's the team that you are overseeing and also the team that you're within and who you're under? Yeah, so my team here, we're in charge of recruiting and reviewing and ultimately enrolling new undergrad classes every year. So we do that with first year students and also transfer students. And basically, we're bringing in 3,300 first year students and another thousand plus transfer students every year. And while we're a research university, I mean, that, that enrollment, that tuition is a huge part of obviously the lifeblood of the Institute, especially right now during the pandemic. And I think that's been really clear out there in the media is schools that are hurting for enrollment are hurting, period. And that means people lose jobs. And depending on what community's in, that means the guy that owns the hotel or the pizza place also loses their job. So the responsibility and the weight of enrollment is not just localized to the university or the college but it has implications for the surrounding community as well. So I think about that a lot. We are not just building a class and bringing in new students to this place, but we're also providing a lot of opportunities for people. My team is, it depends on the time of year, but we're around 30 people that are under me. And then I've got another 30 that come in seasonally to help us. I know you're out in California, a place like UCLA could have a hundred plus people that come in seasonally to help their full-time staff. So yeah, it's a decent number of people. And I do talk a lot about team versus staff. And I think a lot of it does come from playing soccer. Like this idea of, hey, we've got goals, very clear goals. And that's one thing I love about this work is you know exactly what your goals are. There are numbers to hit. And you're trying to get numbers within numbers too, right? Just like with soccer. And it's not always just about the wins and losses, but it's also about what's happening within those numbers too. How are you getting to those results? And for us and, and anybody who has maybe had a kid go through college admission knows this is when you're building a class, it's not just getting a number of students, but you want kids from California. You want kids from Boston. You want kids mm -hmm. from India and China. So you're trying to in a lot of ways, build teams, which are classes, just as much as we're building a team here of the folks I work with. And, and you're also working with the dean or the chancellor or the president or whatever the, the title is there at the institute. I know at universities what they call them, but at the institute, they may have different lingo. Head engineer or something. I don't right. know. I don't know what right. they call it at Georgia Tech. but <laughs> Yeah, you're right. No, our president, our provost, and obviously boards, right? Whether it be boards of trustees. Of course, publics have legislative oversight too, so that's a whole different conversation. But lots of different constituents to please. So you're basically the, the manager and you have the owners and the front office that are overseeing you to make sure that what you're doing, yeah, you're getting the wins, you're getting the people coming in, but that you got that really that manager role, you got people on both sides of you that you're leading and you're being led. Yeah, without a doubt. That's actually a great way to look at it. That's because day-to-day -day stuff, yeah, we're executing that, but 
there's no question that there are these pressures from above and around who have a lot of opinions about exactly how we should do that and who we are and aren't bringing in and why. Absolutely. Well, hopefully they'll give you the money to get the people that you need to get on this transfer market. So, yeah. so let's get into the meat of the how soccer explains leadership. One of those things really is the special relationship between the coach and his players. At least hopefully it's a special relationship. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk about that? Just why that relationship is so special and sacred and really what it's got to do and how it translates into your team at Georgia Tech? Well, I loved playing and I was fortunate to play some great coaches. Things I'll still say or still think about that they said. But flipping that and getting to be more on the coaching side, whether that be with my own kids or the kids I coach, and then, of course, with my team here, I just feel like it allows you to speak into people's lives in a very different way. And I think what's Something I say a lot to my own kids and definitely, in fact, just had a situation happen the other day with, I don't know, you got time for a quick soccer related story on this? So This is a soccer podcast, man. That's If it's soccer related, we can talk about it. I was actually driving. My son is playing now club and so I'm not coaching him anymore. And there were a couple of kids in the car and there's a kid in the back and I heard him whispering the other day and I could tell that he was making some innuendos or whatever, just stuff that was not above board. And I let it go the first time, even though I was pretty sure I knew what was happening. The second time I was like, that's a pattern and and that's just not going to be okay. And so I went ahead and I told her and I told my son, get ready because when we get in the car the next time, I'm going to lay down the law here about what is and isn't okay in the car. And I was planning on doing that in a really sort of calm, mild (laughs) way. But we had not even left this kid's driveway. And I hear him, you know, there was like something about a ball. And then all of a sudden, they're all laughing back there. And I could tell this kid again, kind of went there with some of those sexual innuendos. Mm -hmm. And so I just turned around and I was like, that is not going to work in this car, man. And two of the kids in the back played for me and played for me for a bunch of years. And they definitely had seen that sort of side. And one of the things that I said to those guys that day was, Man, if I didn't love you and didn't want you to be better, then I wouldn't be trying to hold you to this account. And I'm not sure what you do at your own house, and I'm not really sure what your parents think about stuff, but this is going to be the way it is in this car. And and I think we do that with our teams as well. We want people around us to be better, and I think a good team does that. And as we talk, I'm here at the office thinking about walking around these offices, usually last person to leave, and walking by each of their offices and thinking about who they are and how can I stretch them? How can I help to make them better? And I think that player-coach relationship and that player-coach dynamic is fundamentally, that's what it's all about, right? Like, how is each of these people here different? than the next. You can't coach them all the same, but what are their goals and what's their potential and how can you stretch and push them to get better? And and back to like 12 year old boys, I mean, (laughs) they need that. They need people to ride them sometimes. They need people to just say, that's not going to be good enough. And you're better than that. You're better than that. Right. And I see it in you. That's going to be the expectation. Yeah. And to have people other than your parents saying those words, to have people, to have your boss actually care about you, think about how much harder you're going to work for them. To have your coach actually care about you and love you and want you to get your potential, how much 
better are you going to play for them? How much you're going to want to do it for yourself, but it's going to be that next little something. And that next little something, maybe that's something that puts you over the top. And so I have seen this as much as anything, right? Just this transfer of seeing a coach's impact on a kid's life and seeing a healthy, positive boss who's going to come in and actually care about the people's flourishing and not just doing it for a paycheck or not just doing it for the bottom line. It makes all the difference in the world. So that was something that when we talked about that in another conversation we were having, I I was like, yeah, absolutely. We got to talk about this. Going back to that kind of with the team. So you have an ideal team in soccer has great players in every position and they're complementing each other in different ways. What does that look like? How is that comparable to your office and, and, and your team and, and what your role as the leader of that team, as you're putting that team together and hiring and, and looking into that, what does that look like? And how do you think through that experience through soccer and how does that inform what you're doing in that regard? I think probably one of the biggest things is I've said for a while, when I leave here, I want somebody to come in and be able to look around and be like, all right, I'm going to put my own spin on this, but I see what he was doing and Mm. I can see where he was heading with this. And it makes sense. Structure is in place. Things are healthy. And now I have the tools I need to put my own spin on it, which we're all going to do as, as leaders, as coaches, whatever it may be. But I think for me, so much of that starts with the leaders within the team and sort of from me, that next level down. And I guess one way to put that out there is we have divided out into several different teams, just like you would have somebody that you can rely on, but that's up front and that offensive leader and that defensive leader, right? Same thing here is, man, if they're healthy and they're being pushed and stretched and they're on the same page with you then you don't have to be there to deliver that message all the time. And I think that's what good coaches do is they don't have to constantly be riding people. They don't have to always be there because they've got those captains on the field. Normally, it seems that the best teams don't just have one. Usually you see them spread throughout the field where you can identify and say, that guy, that guy, they're the ones that are holding everybody to account. And you know, I think the other thing, of course, on the team side of things is those complementary skills and talents. Just that idea that you're not going to win. You're not going to win with just all good defenders. You got to create a team and find those strengths and talents and then put them in the right place. And that's certainly something we talk a lot about here is we feel like we can coach people to do the work without a doubt. We just got to get people to have the right attitude on board and then figure out where they're going to thrive. So just a really quick example of this. We hired a girl that was working at University of Illinois. And she came down here and we thought she was going to be perfect in this one role. And actually now she's running all of our social media and she's just absolutely killing it. And it was one of those things where she had lots of good talents and skills and and great attitude. And then we started to realize what she loved, what she really loved to do and what she was made to do. And then watching her take off in that over the last year has just been, man, so exciting to be part of. And I think that's, again, thinking about that coach metaphor I think there's probably nothing more satisfying as a coach than to see like, man, you just put somebody in the right place. They did the work, but you just gave them an opportunity to be in that right right place. And you had the vision to identify it, but then to watch them just take off way beyond what you could ever imagine is, is pretty cool. And I think a lot of college coaches right now, if as they're listening to this, are, are thinking right now, as you said that, where someone came in as one position and they realized they were at a different position, they're basically thinking of their left back. Because it seems like every college coach I'm talking to says they had a winger that they made into a left back because <laughs> left backs are so hard to find. So if you're a high school parent or a parent of a kid, 
if you can groom your kid to be a left back, you got a pretty good shot. My daughter happens to be a left back, but that's what she just wanted to play. She was never a winger. But anyway, it really is interesting. And it makes sense a lot of times where you can take those skills of a winger, especially with wing backs now, and to be able to convert. But that takes a coach to be able to think outside the box, a coach to be able to see those skills. Mm -hmm. It takes a manager, it takes a boss, it takes a a leader in an organization to see those skills and not just think, oh, I hired this person, so I'm going to stay in this box, but to say, what are these ways that I can use these gifts and talents Mm -hmm. for the best use for the team so that it will make everybody better, including that person. And then it also takes, it takes that understanding of how to communicate to that person because that winger may not like the idea of going back to defense and and not getting the glory of the goals or the assist or whatever almost never do they right and sometimes in a job too they may not see it at first yeah yeah right but for you to have that foresight and to be able to communicate it to say hey look i think this is best for you and here's why Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see it too once you get into it a little bit and to, sure. to maybe coach them through that transition too. Have you seen that? I mean, have you seen that, that with the with what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. In fact, I'd say a lot of the time, especially when it's lateral, when it's like a lateral move. And it's one thing, of course, it's like, hey, here's a promotion and we believe yeah. in you and whatever. But that sort of quote unquote lateral move where you're like, no, I just think your skills and talents can be better used here. And that takes a little while, and certainly it takes a certain personality to be okay with that, I think. But (laughs) another thing that you said was that as a leader, as a coach, to be willing to cut your losses when you realize it's not working out in a Mm -hmm. certain position, but not just try to like stick with it too long. And like finding that balance of knowing when it's time to just be like, this is just not working. And we're going to either, you know, make a move or, or get, or move on. That's absolutely right. Whether it's a virus, whether it's it's just not the right position. You know, you just we tried that. It did not work. We've all seen that on our teams. We've seen it maybe with ourselves. We've seen it in Premier League level down yeah. to my kids U6. So I wanted you to just talk a little bit about now too, yeah. what position you played when mm-hmm. you were playing yep. and really what you learned from that and how you're actually using what you learned from that today in your leadership. So I was definitely one of those people that got moved back over time. And ultimately, probably by about ninth grade or so, both on clubs and playing at the high school level, was a center back. I did play left back, interestingly, now that you're bringing that up for our high school team, because we had a center back senior when I was a freshman, but pretty much moved into that center back across the board. And now, I mean, I just have such an affinity for that position. And, and a lot of times we'll argue, I think it's the best and one of the most important roles on the team. Everybody will make that argument, of course, for their own sure. position. But you know what I appreciated about that then? And this is just who I was as a player. I wasn't the guy, I realized pretty quickly, the turn and distribute great center mid or attacking mid, that takes a certain level of of ability, vision, all kinds of different skills and talents, right? But that center back, what I loved about it is you could see everything. And I still think about that a lot, that vision. And and I think about where I sit here in my role at Georgia Tech as well in universities. And this is probably true in a lot of companies too. It's easy to get siloed. And one thing I do love about admission is it touches everything. It touches politics. It touches the money. It touches the student life. It touches people outside of here, parents and and students, high schools and K-12. In a lot of ways, it is very much the hub of the wheel. And I've always liked being in the mix, so being in the center, but also having the vision out of 
if we do something here at Georgia Tech, like what are the positive implications or potential negative implications with our state legislator? How are our alumni going to respond if we make this decision or if we don't meet this goal or whatever? So in a lot of ways, I think that's something that translates a lot for me is this idea of wanting to have that type of vision. The other thing I would say is when you're the last man back, <laughs> you just, you feel a ton of responsibility. And I feel like I had to be reminded a lot. And I say this a lot of the times to the kids I've coached is, you know, what they beat nine others to get to you, but that's not how you feel. And nor is it should, I think a good center back never feels that way is it is my responsibility. I'm the last one back. If they beat me, this isn't going to go well. And I think about that a lot. We're doing this interview on a Friday afternoon. I've let everybody else go. And I try to do that a lot. Everybody else is gone. Go enjoy your weekend. I'm just going to stay here and hold it down. On holidays, the last day before holidays, we, I, in this building, we have about 200 people employed. And I usually volunteer to work at the front desk for that last half of the day. Everybody else is, is gone. And I'm not saying you have to have played that position to have that mentality. But I do think that translates a lot is being okay with being alone, being okay with being the one to hold it down. And then it very much translates to the work I do here because we, if we enroll too many people, then we're going to have problems in terms of not being able to feed them all, house them all, teach them all. And so this idea of protecting and helping to meet goals and keep things in check and in balance is absolutely a huge part of what I do. Yeah, man, that center back role, I have obviously a big affinity for it, but I do think it really does translate a lot to just the way I see life, to be honest with you, and definitely my work. And I think that both the keeper, center back, one of those two roles on a team, depending, and I was a keeper and I played that too, like you said, be able to see the whole field, really the field general, depending on the team, sometimes the keeper plays that role, sometimes the center back, depending on the personalities more than anything usually. Mm -hmm. But that really is the ability to really be that helping the team to be gelled as well. And a lot of times what you also see is you don't get that acclaim Really, And I think the role you're in now doesn't get a lot of acclaim either, right? You're just doing that developmental work that if you're not doing that, Mm -hmm. the school will fall apart. But most people don't see it that way. And the center back, I think it's changing a bit now. And if you're in the know, I mean, you got Virgil van Dyke, you got Harry Maguire getting a big contract. You got all these center backs who are now being more known. But I think that still, they're not getting the balloon d'or usually, right? Sometimes they're up for it, but rarely. Usually it's the attackers and the wingers. And I think that's a lot of the world too. The way the world works, the developmental work doesn't get that acclaim as the all-star. But when it really comes, push comes to shove, it it, it is the foundation. It is the core. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to a lot of coaches, they'll say, I start my team with a keeper and a center back. Alex Ferguson, he said he built his teams around his center backs. Mm-hmm. And I think organizations have their center backs that are those core people that you are making sure are solid, yeah. that aren't necessarily going to be the rock star salesman or the rock star mm-hmm. out there doing whatever. What do you think about that? I think that's spot on for sure. And, and as you're also saying that about kind of vision and just getting things done, the other thing is you don't find very successful, quiet center backs or keepers for that matter. Not only do they see the field, they have to say what they see and they Mm -hmm. have to direct, right? And be willing to 
call people out, be willing to make sure they're organizing things. And that's another thing I would say is just that communication. I, I enjoy that part of my work as well. Being able to tell our story, tell the Georgia Tech story broadly and publicly, but also within my own team, thinking about, like I had a, there was a president I worked for who said 95% of problems are communication problems and 5% are special communication problems. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's a lot of that on a team, right? And there's a lot of yeah. that within coaches to players and players among themselves. And healthy players and healthy teams and healthy coach-player relationships start with communication. Being able to be honest with one another, hear that criticism, say what your expectations are, all of that. And I think, again, it's not like you've got necessarily quiet center mids or something, but that center back's got to talk, man. And they got to call out what they see and, and expect everybody to contribute and hold people at a higher level, that accountability, right? That's a, and keepers too. But that with vision comes the necessity for communication. I brought up keepers. You don't need to keep talking about keepers. That's okay. <laughs> that, was, that was just me bringing it up. I, I felt left out of the conversation. Well, I wanted to bring myself in. But you're a center back. You can talk center back. That's cool. It's okay. It's hey, okay. Bill, this is probably why you and I are friends because there's always a special relationship between center back and keepers. That is true. That is true. And I've had many, and I, I actually, as you say that, it, like this rush of memories goes through my head of all the great center backs I was able to play with. But yeah, you watch that too, though. You can see that. You can see those relationships between center backs and keepers, and the best teams have those best. They're just gelled. Yeah. They're just a rock back there. And on the communication side and, and the vision side, I've started to like pause and slow down. Because with kids, with coaching kids, teaching them to talk on the field is such a huge thing. Because that it, it can be so quiet out there on those youth fields sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. Except for the parents on the sideline. Well, we're right, they're right, not quiet. I mean, on the field. And then, of <laughs> yeah, course, right. you have the parents on the field. That's a whole different podcast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. But I think, of course, COVID's changed this a little bit, which in a way is kind of cool. Like watching the, the MLS Cup where it was quiet and you heard them talking. I think for mm -hmm. kids, that was a great instruction point. But normal world i've started to pause it because otherwise the crowd just drowns all the talking out and actually show my son when you can see these guys talking and and that's key to say is hey man they don't know each other so well that they're just going to all work in harmony and, and rhythm here they are constantly talking constantly and that's true within a healthy work environment too right that communication piece absolutely so we talk about the players on the field. We talk about the center back, the keeper, that relationship, the key roles, the differences of the different positions, and really what that has to do with leadership. But there's also these players, these people, and they're, sometimes they're not even players. Sometimes they're the kit man. Sometimes they're the different people on the staff of the coaching staff or other people that are the reserves or whatever. But you have these people that are really not seen but they're still key players on the team. So can you speak to that? Really the players that aren't necessarily making the big impact on the field, aren't in front of the camera, aren't getting on the stat sheet, but how they can contribute mm -hmm. and, and how you as a leader can encourage that and make sure they understand that and spur them on to their best. Yeah. I think that's where one of the things that actually is written up on my whiteboard right now is celebrate your wins. And man, like, <laughs> As individuals, as families, as teams in the workplace, God, we have got to do that because 
Maybe the pandemic's helped us to hit pause on life a little bit and, and, and slow down. I feel like things have gotten back into fast forward mode, but we don't do that very well. Usually it's always the next thing. And maybe that's a little bit of an American culture thing too, but it's like, what's next? Either whatever you achieve, what's next, or just today is over, what's next? And I think, especially as you mentioned, those people who may not get the stat line and they may not get the interview after the game kind of kid or player, man, we've got to bring them into the bigger celebration of the team victory. And that is something I feel like we have done very well here at Georgia Tech is because enrollment is constant. It's one term Mm -hmm. after the next. Literally kids show up here and we're like, okay, they're not just numbers on a spreadsheet anymore. We got them. Money's in the bank. They're showing up to class. Check. Move on. And, and that just is life in general, too. It's sports. It's soccer. It's like you win the game or you don't, but it's whatever's next, whatever's next. And I think, right. man, we have got to celebrate our wins and just hit pause and bring everybody into that. And like you said, you actually brought up some really good examples, like the guy that's cleaning the jerseys in the locker room. We got to bring more people into the fold and celebrate the fact that none of that stuff happens without everybody playing their part, whether they're on the mm-hmm. field or supporting the team on the field. Like we have something here, we call them campus partners. And we talk a lot about how recruitment and enrollment is not just an admission job. There's lots of concentric circles. And so we always have, not during the pandemic, but normally once kids show up, we'll have a big party basically. And we'll invite all these people and talk about how they all contributed to this you know, win. So yeah. man, celebrate your wins. The other thing about it though, is I think that we often get different perspectives from these different people, right? My daughter has been playing soccer at Trinity Western University. Shout out to TWU up in Langley, British Columbia. If you're looking for a great school, it is a great one. So is Georgia Tech. But she was hurt. she's been hurt the last year for a year. Mystery injury, random. And, and I told her, what a great time to watch your position, to watch your team, to understand the culture, to understand everything about this. You will never have this perspective. Well, hopefully you won't have this perspective again Mm. to be able to see how you can improve, Mm. to be able to watch these other players and, and pick up different things. When you're playing, when you're training, you don't have the perspective from that forest view and, and the same thing goes, I think, a lot of times for organizations when you're in certain roles mm-hmm. during lulls, maybe, or during whatever, you might have a time to be able to see things differently. And how do you capture that? And how do you, in your organization, capture that when people are maybe going through these different things that may not seem on the surface to be great things in their lives? I feel like sometimes as coaches, we've got to tell, because when you get hurt, man, it's not just the the missing of games and all that, but I start to question life in general when you're hurt and you can't be part of the team, especially if, if that's not something you've experienced much before. I feel like when I've tried to tell my own son and definitely players that, have, that I've coached is injuries are a blessing because like you said, you get to pull back and get out of the mix a little bit. And I actually have a book here. It's a picture book. But we have a little like library in our office and it's a book called Zoom. I don't know. It's like a little kid's book, basically. But it starts out with a picture on a farm and it pans out on the next page. And then you see that's like a stamp. And then you pan out and you see that's on a letter and you pan out. And you just every page you pull, you just see how there's a bigger and bigger scene 
going on. And it's a powerful book, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think for a player, that's kind of what an injury is. Because you have been in the mix, and, and no matter where you are in the field, you, you really aren't going to totally see it all. And relationships with your other players, relationships with your coach, all that changes when you get hurt. And so I just think we have to try to change their mentality a little bit. And like you said, embrace that moment. And sometimes a longer than expected or longer than anticipated moment to say, what can you learn during this time? How can you change your vision? And I think as leaders, as coaches, as parents, man, we have got to escape our immediate situation. As a parent, especially, you get, you got to sometimes just put hold on whatever the discipline is, whatever the problem is, whatever the tension is, and pull back and see it and seek out advice and, and insight from other people, which is part of why I think it's so awesome that you're doing this podcast, man. Because the more people's voices we can hear and perspective we can get, we're always going to pick up something. I think this is my fifth interview for the podcast so far. I don't know when it's going to release, but I'm doing it fifth. And I'm like writing notes and all these interviews and learning stuff. I've already picked up a couple of things that I'm going to implement immediately into my family and my parenting. And my kids hopefully will think I'm a better dad from it. They'll never tell me until they're (laughs) older, but that's that's okay. That's okay. So on that note, I think that's a great segue into not quite the last question, but something I like to ask, and it is where I'm getting a lot of the nuggets I think that are cool. And I think are, I think people listening are already probably looking forward to this question, but how do you incorporate really lessons you've learned in soccer? And you've talked about a couple already, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you have more that, yeah. that you haven't said yet, but what you've learned in soccer into your marriage, into your parenting in your home. I think one of them is, yeah, I guess I did hit on this earlier, but even when we were talking about this in preparation, but also just oftentimes I've written this down is like finding that combination of humility and understanding kind of where your skills are and then how you quote unquote fit in, but also always having that vision and being surrounded by and intentionally surrounding you by people that are just a little better or have had just a little more exposure to something. And that's that refusal for the status quo. And I feel like good soccer players or people that just love the game, even if maybe they're not the most talented, they are just not content with where they are. They just always want to be better. They understand and they're self-aware of maybe some limitations. Okay, I'm not the fastest. I don't have the best touch or the best moves on this team, but I can get better and I'm going to surround myself with people that can. I know something you told me that you talk to your kids about is this idea of retaliation always gets the red. And and I love that. And it's so true, man. And I was like, God, do I have anything that I say like that? And the one thing that I do say over and over to my kids is touch the line. And this is more of a warm up thing. But when you're running suicide or it's kind of like play to the whistle, it's the same idea, right? The ball's not out. Even if the ball is out, it's still not dead until the referee blows the whistle. But yeah. I say touch the line a lot because I think about warm-ups and, and how you can tell so much about a kid, a player, based on how they warm up. When you turn your back, are they going all the way to the line or not? And when it's the last one and they know it's the last one because you said we're doing 10, are they still going all the way to the line or not? And I say that with my kids a lot. My daughter today, literally, like she's nine, but she got her shirt out of the living room, which is the letter of the law. But it was sure. like yeah. up to the landing of the stairs. <laughs> and I literally turned around and said, touch the line. And she knows now what that means, which is 
get that thing back into your closet, man. Go yeah. all the way. I, I believe that's how I try to live is even when no one else is around here, touch the line, man. I love that, man. That's integrity. I mean, that's integrity stuff. And that's another great thing that I'm going to use, hopefully. I'll use it in something. I'm just going to say it to somebody today and see what happens. <laughs> see what they say. But that's such a great point. And it goes back to that idea of you, you play like you practice and everything you do, that integrity and in what you do, and it will become muscle memory, whether you're not touching the line or whether you're touching the line, whether you're cutting that corner or not cutting that corner. If you cut the corners in your warm up, you're going to cut the corner in the game. If you cut the corner of the game, you're probably going to cut the corner in life. Yeah. And, and that will bite you in the butt at some point. And sometimes yeah. more obvious than not. Man, I, That's fantastic, dude. I went back to help my high school coach for a year or two when I first moved back here to Atlanta. And I remember how sometimes the worst thing that would happen is he would get so pissed and he would be so disappointed with us in the way that we were practicing that he would just leave, right? He would just literally just walk off the field. And this didn't happen. This probably my four years playing for him happened like, let's say three times. In my memory, it happened a lot more, but it probably happened yeah. three times. And I remember one day we were at practice and I told him, this is a walk-off. This is a walk-off moment. These guys are not putting in the work, man. We just got to walk off. And he said, but that's the difference between this team and that team is no one else will continue to run practice. Because when he mm. left, when we were there, it was like, we felt that his disappointment was our shame. And I think that's another sign of good teams, right? Is as you said, when no one else is looking, are you putting in that work? You practice like you play. And even when the coach isn't there, in fact, even especially, right, you know, how are you conducting yourselves? And do you have the right people there to coach and captain when you're not? And I, and I will just say, if, if you're a player listening in on this, as a coach, as someone who's played, as a dad, as a president of an organization, people are watching. When, even when you don't think they are, people are watching. And at the end of the day, you're watching yourself. So your character will shine through and it, your character is built in these little things. So that's fantastic stuff. All right, man, as we're drawing this to a close, I always get so bummed at the end of great interviews, which this absolutely is one. And they're, the great interviews, by the way, are because of the guest, not the interviewer, just to be clear. And we asked this question, and you've already mentioned a book, the Zoom book, the picture book, which I'm going to check out for sure. Yeah. But what have you read, listened to, or watched that has impacted your thinking about leadership or soccer or ideally the intersection of soccer, life, and leadership? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, and maybe this is a bit of a stretch on connecting them all, but the one I read recently was The Road Back to You by Ian mm. Crone. It's actually about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And man, I just, I feel like for me as a boss and also as a father and as a coach, man, like just that idea that we are all made differently and, yeah. and the way we're made is beautiful, right? And the way we're made is complimentary and it's not trying to force someone to be something they're not, but like good coaches, I think, understand who players are, what motivates them, what they're going to get fired up about how we talk with them, how we push them, right? And as a father too, man, just taking the time to understand our kids and think deeply about that is probably one of the best ways that we can love them. And obviously same with our spouses, without a doubt. So I think knowing ourselves, which is really what the book's about, but then extrapolating yep. that out to the people in our lives and, and certainly our teammates, our coaches, our players, 
But the more we can understand ourselves and be self-aware, and then also love people enough by understanding really who they are and how they're made, that's just going to be a recipe for success across the board. I don't think that's a stretch at all. I've talked about this already on the podcast. We use the DISC model of human behavior. I'm a consultant on that. I'm certified in that. And we used it with my high school soccer team. And it's transformational. It's stuff that if you understand yourself and you understand others, you will be a much healthier team, whether that's a organization, a business, a for-profit, a nonprofit, a family, a soccer team, or any other team, mm. a musical. I don't care what you are. You're going to work better together when you understand each other and you actually grow to care about and love each other. So absolutely agree with that. And I just want to thank you again for taking the time to be on the show, to share your wisdom, to share what you're doing. I know you're, as you said, the games continue. Your off season is really non-existent. It's kind of like the COVID year where you don't really have an off season. <laughs> and it's something that very much appreciate your time. And I appreciate our friendship and I appreciate how you're really thinking about these things and applying them. I have no doubt the people that work for you and with you appreciate that greatly. So thanks a lot, Rick. Absolutely, Phil, man. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you folks out there again. Thanks for the download. Again, as we said at the beginning of the show, go ahead and, and subscribe to this show if you have not and share it with your friends. I, I have no doubt that they'll learn from what Rick was sharing with us today. I know I learned a lot from it. If nothing else, touch the line, folks. And I think that's something to remember that as you're going through your days for the rest of today, for the rest of your life. And I do hope and pray that you take all that you're learning from this episode and from all the rest of these episodes that you're taking it, you're learning how you can apply what you're learning from the beautiful game into every area of your life and in every area of your leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.